Hello everybody and welcome to Love Unlocks Live Sessions. It is Tuesday, it's a new week, can you believe it? It's week nine of the Love Unlocks Sessions. Man, it's been amazing. We've had some great people and we have more for you this week. And I'm so excited to introduce our next guest. If it's the first time that you're logging on to Love Unlocks Live Sessions, what this is about is to to chat to people with amazing stories about how God's love has unlocked their lives. And it's brought to you by our ministry. Our ministry is called Love Key. And our focus is to minister wholeness to families and unity to the body of Christ. And uh, stories like these are the kinds of stories that help us all to be encouraged, inspired, to encounter God, align with His purposes, and reign in life. And that is our heart, is to do it in this way. So uh, I would love to introduce our guest today. Uh, but before I do that, before I forget, sometimes I forget this, <laughs> I want to quickly also tell you guys about uh, a marriage seminar that my wife and I are running on Thursday evenings for 10 weeks. We're chatting about all things marriage. We just really believe that marriage is God's idea, God's plan. It's the bedrock of society. And we, uh, we are just like overwhelmed with how many marriages are falling apart. And we want to try and play a role in, in bringing, bringing healing, uh, bringing reconciliation, and making sure that marriages survive and not just survive, but, even, but thrive as they should. So if you want to be part of that, we've been going for four weeks, but you can catch up by joining us. Uh, you can get your ticket on Quicket and come and join us. And we this Thursday, night we're chatting about communication and we're having pajama night so you can i'm pretty sure everyone joins in pajamas anyway but you know <laughs> you guys are more than welcome to join us let's introduce our guest uh he's an amazing man of god we met a couple of years ago he uh him and his wife have a ministry called hope church in george before that they were in zambia for a very long time doing amazing work there these guys are one of the first pastors that gave me a shot at uh doing we worship and ministry at their church. Please welcome all the way from the beautiful George, Paul Van Collar. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great to have you, brother. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. Great to be able to chat to you today. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, you've got a beautiful wife and some great kids. How are they doing? Actually, you're doing really well. Hey? I wow. Think like what you said earlier on is, you know, the foundation, if we focus on our family and if our family is doing well, then life does well. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I'm just really blessed. Marinette, my wife, incredible lady, loves God, loves our kids. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal mom. Um, and yeah, I think our kids are, seem to be thriving, which is That's great awesome. in, in spite of the circumstances. But we do live with George and with George is ridiculously beautiful that helps i'm sure but uh, i mean so you guys are coping well with this whole lockdown and stuff yeah i think we it's just an attitude hey so often i think mm. we choose to be positive we choose to focus on what's good we choose to to be grateful uh, for what we do have i think we see so much well so many people struggling at the moment um, and it just takes an opportunity to step back and say, well, you know, we can focus on the negative or we can just use this opportunity to get closer to each other. We can use this opportunity to, to spend time talking more and doing more stuff as a family. And yeah, it's been great. Um, wow, that's great. I love that. That that helps, I think, a lot of people to just do, do a bit of a mind shift because there's so much negativity, uncertainty, fear that's running rampant and uh, it's, it's, it's very refreshing to, to hear that kind of point of view. So thanks for that. Um, I'm sure it'll inspire some people. Um, I see we've got a lot of people logging on. Welcome, guys. It's so great to see you. Uh, if you are logging on live, please tell us your name, where you're from, and uh, let us know if you have any questions for me or for, for Paul. Uh, we want you to be part of this chat and, uh, and be interactive. And even if you are logging in later or listening on a podcast later, you're more than welcome to, to also send us messages. That'll be great. All right. We're going to get to know uh, Paul a little bit better. Um, I'm not sure. Should I say, uh, is it apostle? Is it bishop? Is it, uh, is it minister? <laughs> Sermons, probably the best description. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, okay. So um, I, I like to chat to people about their families, get to know them a little bit better and, uh, and get some stories. And then we get into the testimony. So can you please tell us a little bit about the story of, of you and Marinette, how you guys met? How long was it be since you met and got married? And, and how did your journey start from there? Yeah, great question. Um, 
So I was I was a youth pastor, associate pastor at a church in Tableview at the time, and Marinette and her friend came into church. Well, we actually met them living in the same complex. We invited them to church. They were very unsaved. Um, <laughs> very, very church. unsaved. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eventually she gave her life to the Lord, surrendered her life to the Lord. But wow. uh, you could just see that when she gave her life to God completely, um, sure. it, was complete, it was a complete surrender. Wow. And she very, very quickly became like one of my strongest leaders. Sure. Although we weren't romantically attracted to each other for about three years, um, okay. we just really enjoyed working together. Um, and I just felt actually for somebody actually gave me, came and gave, gave me like a word, you know, from God that said, Paul, you just focus on, because I was, you know, younger, wanting to get married. Yeah. And that's what God said this to me, that you just focus on serving God. Get so busy doing what you, what God's called you to do that God will have to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, who, look who's standing next to you. Wow. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was like just serving God, trying to keep Blinker focused on, you know, on the things of God and on yeah. the church. Marinette was my leader. We were leading together, and she wasn't attracted to me as far as I know. So I wasn't, you know, it was like, <laughs> and then I was like, hey. hey. <laughs> Suddenly noticed this lady. Wow. <laughs> Uh, but we were friends, probably like really, really good friends in ministry, serving God together. She actually was full-time at the time as well. She came onto, onto the full-time team. Wow. And both of us just wanted to serve God, lay down our lives for God. And I think that's pretty still the, the bedrock of, of, of our relationship is that we both just want to be sold out for God. And we love God and we love each other and we want, both want to you know, live our lives for him, sure. I think it makes it a whole lot easier when you both have a common vision. Yeah, and both sacrificial. God is at the center, and like what you know, the Word of God says, "Don't be unequally yoked." Yeah, and um, and definitely when you both yoked and you're going in the same direction, we know what yoke means. You know, when you're going in the same direction, you're yoking and pulling in the same direction. It just is so much easier. And yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I love that um, how you how you put God first and then took that that advice that was great advice you know god will tap you on the shoulder <laughs> i was like oh, that's cool i love it and and did she when you finally sort of noticed that her you had the tap on the shoulder and you you started getting romantic feelings did you ever ask her you know did she at one point know that you're her husband you know because i've heard from many ladies that they say no the lady always knows first or <laughs> or was it you that knew first she, I think she, if you had to speak to her, she'd probably say she knew first. <laughs> She's <laughs> quite intuitive, you know, think they hold it. Uh, especially my wife, she, she's, pretty, she's pretty sharp. <laughs> she is. Uh, and I, I, mean, I was feeling all these feelings. I wasn't sure what was going on. She knew something was different because I was acting all stupid around it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, dead so giveaway. Like, hey, what's going on? You know, so I'm like, uh, I like you. Wow. So, and I actually, I think I'm in love with you. Yeah, um, that's amazing. And just, then we, we made this agreement that um, it's okay, we're going to take it slow. Because obviously, you know, you're a pastor in the church. You got yeah. People are watching. and Of course. And so, so just, we made this agreement. I said, okay, okay, we're going to take it slow. Um, <laughs> and then I said, okay, yeah, we're going to take it slow. And then I think I phoned her the next day. I said, I know yesterday we said we're going to take it slow, but I just want you to know I'm going to move very fast. <laughs> He's giving you a heads up. <laughs> I said, no, listen, whether you agree, then eventually, I think it was about two, about two months later, I asked her to marry me. And she's yeah. Like, but Paul, this is like fast. I said, I told you I was going to take it fast. Yeah. Said, she says, well, whether you say, now to, you say yes to me now or in 10 years' time, I am going to marry you. Wow. Oh, so, might as well just surrender. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you might as well surrender. I love that. That's amazing. That's yeah. a, I like it. You're a man of faith. It's awesome. That's so we good. That's not the advice we give to other people. Normally we say it's good to court for a while. Yeah. yeah. We were really good friends. We knew each other. We had lots of arguments up until the point in time when we actually fell in love. But when we fell in love, well, I fell head over heels in love. And I was like, no, I am going to marry this woman. Oh, wow. That's she, so cool. I'm going to pursue her for the rest of my life. That's lovely. That's so yeah. cool. Wow, we have uh, Rainy tuning in from Perth. We have uh, Anthea from Joburg, Lizzie from Middleburg, Hanali from Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, and oh, my good friend, Yohandre, he's an evangelist. He says, uh, 
Pastor Paul and I'm such a he says you're such a great communicator. He's he loves your your work. He's there and you must know him then. He's there in Mossel yeah, Bay. He's welcome to our church. Well when we have church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah what a great guy. Great cool. guy. And uh, please tell us about your kids. They're awesome. I got to meet them a few times. Such great guys. They're awesome. Please tell us what you what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of them? Oh, just privileged to be a dad. So it's two words, but yeah, just very privileged. <laughs> wow. I think you're going to get overwhelmed when you look at these um, young people and you realize that God's actually trusted us sure. with this massive responsibility of raising them up to love God and to love his church. And um, it's not something that we can take lightly. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what, are, you, what are you excited about for the future? Um, we have a slightly different approach, I suppose, to, to some. We feel that well, God's put these two, we've got two boys, Seth and Nathan, they're amazing, um, amazing young men. And we feel like well, God's trusted us with them. Both Mary and Nathan and I are passionate about serving God and building his kingdom. And so God must have known in his wisdom that he would give us these two. So we just expect that they're supposed to be passionate and, and follow God, and that there must be a call of God on their life to full-time ministry because they're yeah. in our house. So they're your children. Yeah. And, and speaking that over their lives, unless maybe God might say something else, but we're assuming that's what he's saying, and so we're developing them to, yeah, to lead and to extend his kingdom in whatever way that would look like. Discipling them now already, that's great. Well, that's, I mean, parenting is discipling in a way anyway, so that's powerful. I love it. So good. Um, you, you've been around uh, you know, church for a long time. Obviously, you've preached in many places. You've been in Zambia for a long time. Now in George for, I'm not sure how many years. You've been there for a few years, right? Yeah, so you're coming on eight years next month. Wow. And I mean, I know from just you know, being on stages and uh, being around production, basically, there's, there's, there's always stuff behind the scenes that can go wrong or cause an embarrassing moment. So I'd love to know if you can share maybe one story with us of something going wrong or just an embarrassing moment uh, through somewhere in your career. Yeah, I've got lots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose one of the that stands out was when Marinette and I came and we replanted the church in George. Um, obviously, you're worried, you know, you knew in the mm. town, you yeah. were coming in. So you want to put on your best uh, best foot forward. Everybody's watching, you know, the family, watching your kids. They all think they did pastors. The kids, pastors' kids are supposed to be perfect. Oh, my word, yeah. Anyway, so we had doing like this little thing that we were advertising. It's like family family day. So we had um, everybody on the stage. All our boys were on the stage. And I was sitting in the front row. And Marinette was on the stage making an announcement, and then um, Seth and Nathan, Seth Nathan is the youngest one, and Seth's the oldest one, and they were supposed to be standing there, and they started like pushing each other <laughs> while they were on stage. And then oh, Nathan, no. Nathan must have been like six at the time. So Nathan is the youngest. He just took back, and he just went back like, and just hit Seth like full on. like No on, way. On the gym. gym oh. you know, like, like full on. And Seth fell off the stage. No, but shot. I'm sitting in the front row and I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my goodness, Marion is looking at me. But I'm thinking of two things. I'm thinking, geez, that was a good shot. I mean, I'm proud of my boy. Really That's what laugh. a dad does. That's what a dad does. Uh, like, but at the same time, you think that you shouldn't hit your brother. Yeah. Like, what are people thinking? Oh, uh, my word. So I just sat there just like, <laughs> man, it was looking at me like, do something. You know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, we made a bit of a joke about it to say, hey, well, you know, family clearly isn't perfect. Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> but good. we try. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, that was uh, one of those moments where they kind of, you're trying to make a good impression. You're trying to present that, you know, you're trying, you know, hey, follow us as we follow God. Yeah. Sometimes it's that humanity about our lives and humanity about, hey, we don't have it all together. We're trying to serve God. We <laughs> Just that image of my one boy clapping about <laughs> I thought it'll stick with me for the rest of my life. I'm sure. How how old were they at the time? Uh, I think Seth was Nathan was probably say, maybe five, six. Okay, probably seven, eight. Yeah, wow. so there's a age gap between them. Um, but yeah, just it was just you know what I mean. It was a perfect shot. I'm like, it was really good, you know. But at the same time, 
we shouldn't be happy with the Like well done, thing. you know, but not well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got three boys, as you know, and they they can they also have these moments where and they it's almost like they choose them, you know, like we're at a photo shoot or the, there's a TV crew at our house trying to get an interview going, and I must say they have amazing moments, but. My wife and I were actually joking this morning about, you know, we, sh- we, should, we should show people the end result, the picture that we took. But then we have to make a video of the process to get there, <laughs> the, the shouting and the bribing and the moving them around because <laughs> it's, it's never as simple as it looks uh, anyway. So, brother, I would love for people to know a bit more about your story. And uh, I've, I've had the privilege of hanging with you guys, being at your church, seeing the fruit of your labor and of your love for God, your love for people. And, um, but I would like to start at the, at the beginning for you, which was when you had that encounter with God the first time. So please tell us, how, how did God's love unlock your life? And, and then uh, how did you get into ministry? That's a great question. So I never grew up. Um, in a Christian family at all. Wow. Um, so okay. if my dad was pretty convinced there wasn't a God. And so, yeah, you know, I just never went to church as a young person. Um, but then my parents got divorced sure. um, when I was 13, 14. And I, we grew up in a very strict family to, and my dad and brother, my got an older brother, we chose to stay with my dad too. You know, we just didn't have rules. And okay. I was very angry. I was angry with the world. I was, wasn't sure what I was angry with, but I was just angry. Wow. Um, and so it went on a bit of a destructive path. Mm. Um, and then a teacher said to me, um, actually, let me take a step back. A friend of mine actually during that time said, hey, Paul, there is a God and he loves you. And he actually got a plan for your life. And I was like, God, you know, really? Wow. He said, no, no, just why don't you ask and pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. I was like, I don't even know how to pray. You know, Should we, how do you pray? Do you yeah. pray like this, like this? I mean, what do you, what do you, what do, you do, you know? Um, he said, no, just find somewhere quiet and just go and pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And mm. so I went into my room. I can remember clearly just going into my room, sitting down on my bed and saying, God, if you're real, and if what my friend is saying to me is true, and you actually want to have a relationship with me, then show me. I mean, nothing happened in the room. There were no lights or anything. But over the course of the next year, I became very aware that there was a God. Wow. And that he was looking out for me. Like this series of little supernatural events that I could just point, okay, that was supernatural like that shouldn't have happened but it happened in my favor um, wow. and I became aware that there was a God and that he loved me and then a teacher at my school actually got all uh, whole grade together and he explained the gospel and um, he just said hey you're all sinners and you need to get saved and I knew that I was the sinner <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and he explained the gospel and I understood I mean I didn't like the teacher he's actually the teacher that I disliked the most okay <laughs> with him but I just knew what he was saying it was the first time I ever heard the gospel I knew I was a sinner and my sin was separating me from God Sure. and I need the savior and I just knew it and so I made that decision accepted God and then he said yo go find a church um, so went and started looking for churches and um, that took me about another year before I came to a place where I fully surrendered God I fully surrendered my life to God okay we have to say, okay, God, here's my life. My life is a mess. God, take my entire life. So I didn't, never, ever thought I'd be in ministry. I never thought I'd I mean, stand up and speak. I didn't, I thought maybe, I, you know, I didn't really none of that. But I just said, God, here's my life. I've messed it up. I'm going to give it to you. Maybe you can do something with it. Sure. And, um, and so the thought of doing anything other than serving God, would have been going back on that original commitment. And I was about 17, 18 at the time when I made that. And so I went to the pastor that was joined the church. I went to the pastor at the time and said, hey, I just I want to serve God, you know. He said, well, what do you want to be a pastor? Like, heck no, definitely not one of those. You know? <laughs> um, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. I just I want to give my life to God. So I'll do anything. I'll sweep the, ch- I'll sweep the church. I'll straighten the chairs. I'll do anything. I just want to serve God. And... So he started, did like this internship thing, and I just, I suppose that's really been the story of my life, is saying, okay, God, here I am, I want to sue you, take my life and use it. Um, and I'm just trying to be faithful and do that to the best of my ability. So yeah, here we are, leading a great church, we're in Zambia, in church planting, all the incredible things happening there. But I suppose for both my wife and I, that's still, hey, God, here's our life, we messed it up before we came to you. 
take it and use it. And we're just trying to be faithful with whatever God's, you know, put in front of us. Um, and somehow we ended up here. <laughs> to cut a long story short. Um, okay, but you skipped so many good parts. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> how that's did... how we came to Christ. And yeah, so we surrendered, went into full-time ministry, um, became the youth pastor, the church okay. grew, um, amazing. And then I met Marinette, like you like said earlier yeah, on. Yeah. That was incredible. Um, but then also just overwhelmed and burdened for lost people. Just sure. had a lot of friends that try to come into church. I, when I got saved, I tried to bring some of those friends into church, and they were okay with Jesus, but the church was just weird at the time. Yeah. Just very, very weird. Sure. Then I had experience with one of my best friends, actually my best friend, he died in a car accident, and I had invited him to church, but he wasn't interested in the church. Sure. Because the church, it just wasn't orientated towards unchurched people. Wow. And I felt God very clearly say to me. Just sorry, just church, say that again. I think we need to hear that. The church yeah. wasn't? Orientated towards unchurched people. Wow. Sure. Um, so he, why he was okay with God, but he, he just couldn't fit into the church. The church was just wasn't, wasn't orientated towards un, unchurched people. Wow. Sure. Um, just the language, the preaching, the yeah. worship. The welcome you had to be, you had to. I think probably the best way to describe it is you had to, you had to believe and behave before you could belong. Sure. And um, and so obviously I felt at, at his funeral when he died, I felt God speak to me. One of the felt, felt God challenged me and say, "Hey, I want you to make the church healthy. I want you to change that around." Wow. And I didn't have that that language back then, but yeah. yeah trying to make sure that people can belong before they believe and before they behave. Sure. The way that we think they should. And I think that's not I think. I know that's what Jesus did with his disciples. Eh? He invited his disciples and they could belong before they believed. Yeah. They behave properly. That's so good. Sure. So I think, yeah, yeah. So just got involved in the church and just and the senior pastor, Graham Evans, and I just made a great team and we changed the church completely. Um, and it started growing rapidly. And, yeah, I think – I think you've been there before, uh, View Church, a great church. Yeah. It's a difference in Cape Town. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, so that's that was your early stomping grounds, was the, yeah. the Table Bay. Okay, Table View. Okay. And then is it was it from there that you guys uh, felt the call to go to Zambia specifically, out of that church? Yeah, so I think we also just heard about, I mean, I heard in West, I heard that people in Western Zambia hadn't heard the gospel, and that freaked me out. Like there's sure. people that have never had access to the gospel. It can't be true. Wow. They have access to the gospel. So Asia talked to this other friend of mine who's coming up with me. We were 23 at the time. We drove up to Western Zambia. Um, literally, there were no roads back then. We hiked, walked into, you know, into this place called Mongu, the town, and just asked lots of questions. And literally, mm -hmm. we came across lots of people that had never even heard of the name of Jesus. And we just thought that can't be right, you know. And here we are in South Africa. We've had the gospel. Somebody does want to find out about Jesus, they can. Yeah. Um, it's in Western Zambia. Um, that wasn't a possibility. Okay. So we, okay, well, we've got to do something about it. Wow. I never thought I would be a missionary. Um, I thought maybe my job my job would be to build a church that could send missionaries. Yeah. So we as a church prayed, our leadership prayed, and we identified two young couples that felt called, and we put them on a two-year training program to go up to Zambia to actually start churches um, and bring the gospel to people that never heard about Jesus. And in the two-year training program, both of those couples pulled out. I then got married. Marinette and I were three months into marriage, uh, never thinking that I would move up to Zambia. Three months. Yo, okay. God clearly grabbed hold of me one night, and I knew God was saying, you need to go to Zambia, you know. Uh, Paul, so just just on that, marriage. just on. Sorry to interrupt you. Just on that point, I think I find a lot of people that they, when they hear you say, "I had that kind of encounter," that kind of, I heard God speak clearly to me. For a lot of people, that seems impossible or intimidating, or they don't know what it feels like. And I think it's different for each person. And yeah. um, but if you can maybe try and explain how you experienced it, it might help someone that is struggling to hear God's voice. You know, that's a great question, Hans. For me, it was a burden. I, I get led by burdens. Okay, um, that's how I feel. God speaks to me like okay. this need that is overwhelming. Okay, um, and you know, I think maybe from yeah, you know, like you said, different people experience God. God speaks to them differently. Um, I, I, God, sometimes I see God's preferred future for something. 
and I see that current reality and I look at that difference between God's preferred future and the current reality and somebody's got to do something about it. Otherwise, it, nothing will happen. Yeah. And I get burdened. Well, nobody else is. And nobody else is doing something. Somebody's got to do something. Wow. And for me, that was what it was like in Zambia. I saw the reality that literally thousands of people are living and dying without ever having the opportunity to hear the gospel. Mm. And somebody's got to do something about it. I didn't necessarily fault I was supposed to be the one to do it, but nobody else was doing it. Wow. So, well, another, okay. <laughs> well, I, I suppose I'll put up my hand. Here I am, God, use me. Wow. Um, that is so well explained. Thank you. It helps me actually a lot as well with a couple of things that I'm, I'm struggling, not struggling with, but, you know, that you have those burdens. And sometimes it's so overwhelming and I don't think the overwhelmingness goes away, right? It's, no, I think it's just about stepping out. It, yeah. If you can ignore it, ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't ignore it, like your faith depends on it. Like if you feel like you, if you're ignoring this burden, yeah. then you have to pay. Like you're going to die or you're going to turn your back on God, but you can't continue to live with this massive burden that somebody's got to do something about this. Wow, sure. And I think also, not I think, but if you look at the Old Testament, and that's often the way that God would lead and call people there. You look mm. at Moses, this burden mm. for his white nation. You've yeah. got to get hiding, but there's this burden. Somebody's got to do something about it. And then God comes and says, hey, why don't you put up your hand? So good. Ah, but I can't. Uh, I'll be with you. But no, no, I don't have what it takes. Yeah, and I think that's how God, well, for me, that's how God leads me. Sure. Actually, I remember reading that in in the Old Testament and, and uh, reading that the the anger of God was kindled against Moses because he kept making excuses. <laughs> and then, but they had this, from the beginning, they had this relationship, you know, where where they could just talk. And it seems like Moses could just kind of be himself and talk to God about anything. But eventually, he was obedient, you know. Um, and and, I th and, and if, you, if you take it from that moment to the moment where he stood in the gap when God wanted to leave Israel and he was called a friend of God and he could stand in the gap. That's quite amazing to see that correlation between those moments. Um, sorry, I'm going a bit on a tangent there, but I just, I, I, I thought of that. That's, that's quite a picture. Oh, wow. And uh, can you, t I mean, I'm sure there's many, but uh, is there a sort of a highlight testimony from your time in Zambia? Someone, someone or, or, a, or a couple or, a, you know, a, a life that was changed in such a way that you still remember it now? You know, this, it's difficult to, to try. I think it, we were living, we went up there, Marinette and I, with a 4x4 four four and a tent. Sure. Uh, with a dream that we felt God had given us mm. uh, for a preferred future for West Zambia, what it would look like. And we started planting churches um, in very rural areas. Being very overwhelmed, um, remember with the, the main language is Selozi, um, you know, working with interpreters, planting a church in a place called Foe, um, which planted this church, and then realizing that this community that had never heard about Jesus, that accept Jesus, that give their lives to Christ, and be radical salvation, um, healings, set, people get set free, and I mean, witch doctors giving their lives to Christ, amazing. Yep. Wow. But then realizing that their language isn't Selozi, it's actually a completely different language called Komashi. And oh, then just, wow. They, there's no schools, the language had never been written down before. Wow. Being overwhelmed by that, like, how are you supposed to, God, you called us to plant these churches. Yeah. People don't even, they, the Bible isn't even in their language. And then finding out there's actually 23 other languages in the province that we work in, Western Zambia. Sure. And that also hadn't been written down. You're completely overwhelmed by the task at hand. And I'm, and just, I'm, I'm assuming there was quite a bit of illiteracy as well. Oh, massive illiteracy. So it doesn't language. even help that you write it down. You first have to teach them how to read. Wow. Well, yeah, sure. because in order for them to read, they would have to learn another language. Wow. So that's hard, you wow. know. And yeah. how did that go? Did you guys get into that? Yeah, I mean, supernaturally, God just, I mean, this is one of the things. God actually just connected us with Wycliffe Bible Translators. They came in and partnered with us. They, we actually formed this organization. We started translating the Bible into five new languages. What? For them. Like Fue is a tonal language, for example. It's got 56 consonants. Sure. So, um, and last month, 
we finished the New Testament in Komashi, that original language, um, which is amazing. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah, oh, and we six wow. percent through the other five, other four languages as well. Um, of the New Testament. Obviously, it's a massive, I mean, if you know, Bible translation is huge. But that's just one of the things. We've got a primary school, high school, we've planted 103 churches. Sure. Um, yeah, just super, so many supernatural miracles. Of wow. Just radical salvations, people giving their lives to the Lord. And, but just, once again, I think just overwhelmed, knowing God, well, I can't do this. Yeah. It somehow God takes our availability and I can't do this. And he says, well, if you're available and you keep your heart right and you believe in me and you keep on pushing forward over a long period of time, because these things never take, <laughs> never, no. never yeah. you look back on the 18 years ago and sure. uh, when we started and you just see just amazing, amazing, amazing fruit in wow. your life. I love it. Uh, I remember when I visited you guys the first time, I was so uh, just blown away by how you not just went and gave the gospel and uh, planted churches, but you also empowered people uh, by helping them with skills and setting up little businesses and to create products that are actually being sold and, and, and sending money back into that community. Um, just please tell us a little bit more about that. And is it still ongoing? And yeah, can people support that in some way? We, um, we started the village for orphans and vulnerable children, primary school, high school, um, malnourishment center, clinic, um, and obviously that costs money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so we're praying, Marinette just felt like God just give her a word, this word art. So mm. she, she doesn't feel like she's not, not like the arty, you know, it's not very arty naturally. Okay. Um, so we asked some people what we could do, we could need it to raise money, raise money, and then we thought, okay, well, she thought, well, maybe let's make paper beads, you know. Yeah. And so they got some ladies there in Zambia, some a vulnerable women. They were un, they were destitute, and uh, they taught God. She taught them how to make paper beads and paper bases. Eventually, became into hope art, and I think to date we've raised a profit because 100 percent of the profit of hope art goes towards um, our orphan work in Western Zambia. Um, and to date, we've raised over four million rand in profit, clean profit. Yes. Um, so it's, it's incredible. So if you want to. Have a look. You can just go into Hope Art Africa or Google Hope Art Africa. Um, and the products are incredible. We're able to wow. export around the world. Um, we even provided for, you know, we can do branding and all sorts of stuff. Like quite a bit for Ripcool and other organizers and other companies. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I love stuff like that because that's, that's really changing lives. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it's it's one thing to to tell someone about Jesus, but it's another thing to show them the love of Jesus in a practical way, and then also help them to become empowered to to live life to the full, and also then be um, able to bless others. I think that's that's what the what church should be, and and what you guys are modeling. That's amazing! Wow, so inspiring, bro. Well done. That's exciting. I love it. Um, the other thing that, that, I, that I really respect and, and have so much admiration for what you guys have done there in George is you've intentionally built a multiracial, multi-generational church. Uh, can you tell us why and, and, and then maybe a little bit of the how? How did you, how are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think great question. I think once again, you can't, I mean, there's no, there's no magic formula. It's just trying to love people the way God loves people. Sure. Um, so one of our values is everybody's valuable to God and therefore to us. And we just want to treat every single person that comes in as valuable. And we want them to leave feeling like they were valued, no matter who they are. Wow. Um, and so that's just one of our values. We're trying to carry that out as best as we can. Um, and so if an old person comes in and they feel valued, they're probably going to come back, you know. Yeah. Um, no matter who that person is, it comes from a different background, different, you know, whatever. They don't. It's not, I think people feel valued and feel like their contribution is valuable, and they got a place in the team. Um, they feel loved, feel accepted, and they feel like they got some. Even no matter what who they are, what they, then they're going to get in and they're going to buy in. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we learned a lot in Zambia. I think we sometimes think that people from different backgrounds or different ages are different, but mm. the truth is that people are people, and the deep needs inside of people are all the same. Sure. And um, and every single person needs community. Yeah. Every single person has a, wants to belong. Every single person wants to make a valuable contribution. That's true. 
Sure. Every single person wants to understand and be understood. And, um, and I think if we create healthy community and healthy family, and like you said early on, you know, to say it starts with our family. So if yeah. marriage is healthy, we feel like the best gift we can give the church is a healthy marriage. Yeah. Great family. And if we succeed there, um, then that's gonna it's gonna roll over into our church. And so our team is very, is healthy. Mm. Our team is is our staff team is great. Our volunteer teams are great, and we just have a set, big one big family. That's um, amazing. So for for maybe. You know, leaders out there listening to this, I know that you've got a big heart for for leaders, pastors, and you do a lot of leadership training as well. The 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 question of how do you make everyone feel valuable? Can you speak to that a little bit? What are what are some of the practical things you guys do on a regular basis to to do that? Um, let's say pre and post lockdown. <laughs> how do you how do you do that? That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, so just to maybe shortcut that a little bit. <laughs> South Africa and uh, planted Hope Church with a hope with the hope that we'd be able to build a church that could actually hopefully inspire other churches to be planted and help other churches. Okay. And, um, and so you always try to do everything in a way that is reproducible and that is not necessarily built around one or two big gifts because churches can can That's be good. very easily built around a big gift and mm. that's not wrong. Wow. Um, but we just feel like we want to build build it around community and around something that's 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 um, repeatable or transferable around some other principles as, a, as opposed to um, massive gifts. Um, okay, makes sense. So we, we just we massive we big very big on volunteers. Uh, we have a very, like on an average Sunday we have probably about two thousand people attending, two thousand three hundred people attend sure. our main church in George. Um, but of that, we would have just over 500 volunteers. Wow, so, what a team. Sure. Yeah. And so people, they don't come to listen, they come to participate. That's and awesome. so we talk about that, we say that maturity isn't knowing more, maturity is coming to contribute. Maturity is taking responsibility. So good. And, um, and so sure. when we, that's part of our discipleship philosophy is when we're bringing people in, we're bringing them to a place where they're coming to give instead of to get. And so if they're still coming to get and I'm the only one, the only I'm feeding them, um, like if people in our church say, oh, just not being fed. Well, okay, you can say that if you're a young Christian, yeah. if you're a Christian for a while, surely I shouldn't still be the one feeding you. Wow. Surely you, at some point in time you need to be a self-feeder. Surely at some point in time you need to be coming to give and be part of a bigger family. That's Absolutely. A mission. And, um, and so when good. people mature into that, that's when – there's space for more people to contribute. And if somebody's contributing and they're feeling like they, they're part of a bigger team, they make, they, they, they're coming to give, then they're excited and they're buying and they just make healthier Christian. And then they're not healthy. And, I, and there I'm seeing the connection between uh, what, what you're saying and being valuable, feeling valuable, that someone wants to feel valuable and, uh, you know, if you feel like you're making a real contribution and you're part of something, then obviously that sense of value is there Absolutely. as opposed to just coming every Sunday and feeling like I'm not as good as the pastor, I'm not as connected to God as the pastor. Uh, that, that actually, that's a great point. Wow, I think that's very healthy. And is, is it... At what point did you connect with the ARC churches uh, model of planting churches and brought that to South Africa? And did you go and learn from them first and then started uh, uh, using some of the methods in your own church or has there always been a relationship? And how did that happen? And maybe just explain to people what ARC does. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so like, oh, we're in Zambia. We felt God is calling us back to South Africa to... Um, once again, burdened that they, we were just doing research. There isn't um, a place anywhere in the Western world at the moment where the church is advancing or Christianity is advancing. In other words, it's losing ground everywhere in the Western world. And that scares me. It should scare us that in our day and our watch, we're losing ground as Christians. So what exactly and does that mean? Does it mean in numbers or in an in, uh, is decreasing? Oh, wow. We, in the Western world is becoming less and less Christians. Sure. Less All and right. Less. Um, and so the only way to change that, statistically, you can look at history, you can look at, doesn't matter which way you look at it, the only way to change that is to plant new churches. Okay. Yes, we need to 
five existing churches, but the the most effective form of evangelism, the most effective form of discipleship is the planting of new churches. Okay. And so with that in mind, I thought, just well, God, how do I, I feel like you want me to play a part in the somehow in the story of South Africa. Yeah. Um, and so we were still missionaries in Zambia. So I signed up to do a research master's um, through the University of Wales and where I could choose my subject matter. And I did a research on effective church planting methods in the Western, in, in the Western context. Wow. And, then all, and I said, okay, we came up with this theory yeah. based on research and um, everything that I learned. And then I heard about ARC um, and then went across to ARC and everything that ARC was doing was exactly what I discovered with my research, only better. <laughs> oh, wow. Was, like better. You yeah, know, it, was tried, it was tried and challenged. And, okay, sure. And then I walked into this conference, um, and for me it was supernatural. It was like it felt like I was coming home. I was yeah. 3,500 liters um, that felt exactly like me. Wow. <laughs> about the numbers. It was about how do we, how do we plant churches, not about – um, you know, about a leader, but it's about building away from yourself. Everything that you need in a church planting movement, everything that you need in order to for things to continue to grow instead of um, being restricted. Because churches go through growth seasons, and there's certain things that barriers that they'll get to where they, it stops churches from growing. Okay. And everything that they'd thought about was just brilliant. Sure. Um, anyway, Came back, spoke to uh, a few of our friends here. We prayed together, spoke to some other church leaders, and we just felt, yo, South Africa needs this. So we we need to collaborate together to to plant new churches, uh, new life-giving churches, and then also help existing churches to grow and to break growth growth barriers because absolutely that South Africa needs new churches. So good. Churches needs more life-giving churches. Yeah. So, so we started and we started four years ago. And so we've got a great, great team, lead team, Phil and Cinda Dooley from Hillsong, Chris and Vinny Matabula from Hope Restoration Church, a phenomenal church. Mm. Um, and then Donovan and Shelley Castle from Raymond South and Marinette and I, um, and a whole lot of other amazing, amazing leaders around the country that have bought in and are saying, hey, let's do this. Um, let's, let's get behind couples mm. that have got a dream in their heart, yeah. a life-giving church, or we want to help them succeed. Um, that's so good I whoever they you know they don't have to have the name arc on them we just want to see we just want to see more churches planted sure yeah i remember the first time i was at your church you were one of the first people to tell me that you think i should plant a church and i was kind of blown away by that and, <laughs> and then you invited me to the arc the first arc conference in south africa and I was like, what, should I go, should I not go? And I just felt God nudge me to go. And I was so blown away by, you know, all the things you're saying. It's, it's, they've really thought about everything. They've, they've tried and tested. They've, they've eaten humble pie and wanted to learn. And, and you get all of this, you know, experience information. And, and I think what, what stood out for me, you've used the term a few times now, and I've started using it, the term life-giving church. And I remember a couple oh, years ago, I read this book from Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. Mm. And in the, in the opening, like a foreword, he tells a story of how he was trying to minister the gospel to a prostitute, didn't get anywhere, eventually said, you know, would you please just come to church? And she said, why would I come to church? I already feel bad about myself. And that really, that really grabbed my heart. And you, you mentioned that as well earlier. And, and as someone, I love the fact that you didn't come from a typical religious background, but you really got born again from a completely away from God, not mm-hmm. even a Christian home. And so there's an understanding, I think, of, of some sorts and also an, an ability to see, um, to look at the religious systems and go, that's not the God I serve <laughs> and to recognize those things because I think it's really important in this, this day and time. And, and then when they started talking about what is a life-giving church, what, what hit me was when he said a life-giving church must get lost people saved, saved people healed, help healed people discover their callings, and then set them out on their callings. And yeah. all four of those people must feel welcome on a Sunday. I was yeah. like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. 
that really grabbed my heart because I, I totally agree. I think in general, we can't speak about all churches, but in general, that is definitely lacking, I think. So well done and may Ark just grow and do very well. Um, I've put the, for those listening, I've seen someone comment that they want to know more about Ark. There is a link in this post where you can go to Ark Churches South Africa and, and learn more and check out that because I think, as, as Paul said, we need more churches. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Also, we, t- churches need to become healthier, you know, churches yeah. being out there. And uh, another way to describe a life-giving church is if you've ever been into a life-sucking church, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the opposite of that. Yeah. The opposite of that sometimes. And, I mean, imagine Jesus. Jesus was, was this man, and, and all the little kids were always hanging around him. Yeah. You know? Type of a person was he? Was he this person that was making little kids feel bad, or was he the type of person that had little sweets stuck in his plug? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that. And I think that's the type of churches we want to build. You know, churches where where it, where people feel like they can come, they can be celebrated, they have fun, but at the same time be challenged. And Jesus had this incredible way about him where he would challenge people, but they still felt loved. Sure, they still felt accepted. That's true. So we don't want to not challenge people, but we want to do it in a way that they know that, that they're valuable and that we're helping them on their journey, which is those four steps, you know, lost people saved, see people healed, set free, those people then discovering their purpose and then going on and making a difference. That's so good. I love that. And that's the, what I like about that is there's, uh, there's a process. You recognize yeah. that there's a process and someone doesn't get, just get uh, stuck with, hey, you're saved, well done. That's great. You got a ticket to heaven, but there's so much more to having, you know, life and life in abundance while you're here. Before you go to heaven, you can bring heaven to earth, and there's a way that you can learn to do that, and you know, bring more people into the family. And I think that's that's what I love about that um, approach, and it's biblical. Uh, it's completely biblical, and it's so powerful. It's so good. What would you What would you say to people that look at modern evangelical or charismatic churches and can maybe even if they don't know enough they can even lump you know hope and churches like hope in that group and say yeah well you guys just entertain people and that's why they keep coming back so what would you say to people that are um that are weary of you know an entertaining church or this whole thing where they criticize worshiptainment and all these kinds of things Uh, what would you say to people that I mean, I think it does happen, but how do you how do you make sure it doesn't happen, and and keep that balance of making people feel welcome but still challenging them? Yeah, totally. Well, I think it's got to do with the motivation. You know, if if our motivation is right, mm. then it's probably going to be healthier. Um, that doesn't mean we can do anything, but we need to make sure our motivation is right for mm. the, in the reason. And like, I could wear this shirt. I love this shirt. But what is what is the motivation behind the shirt? Okay. Why am I wearing it? And, and that goes for all of life. And I think it's exactly the same with church. I think church should be entertaining because if it's not entertaining, it's boring. And I think it should grab people's attention and hold people's attention. I think it should. I think people should want to come back. Um, and and that's not a bad thing. It's when we're doing it for entertaining sake that is wrong. Yes. Uh, if we're doing it because we want to grab people's attention so that we can teach them the word of God, well, I think that's a good reason. Yeah. And I do think that God has given us a brain, and I think when we get saved, we shouldn't leave it at, leave it behind. I think He has given <laughs> us a brain. He wants to use us to use our brains when we build church. So good. Um, and I don't think we have to make excuses for that. But once again, it's the motivation behind it. Am I trying to build my own kingdom? Not at all. I'm trying to get lost people saved. Yeah. So for us, you know, one of our little philosophies, and we talk about this in ARC, is, you know, we don't want the person that is unsaved to get saved, set free, discover their purpose, baptize everything on the, every single thing on the first Sunday. Yeah. Because we might not be able to do that, but we do want them to come back. Yeah. And so our goal for an unchurched person to come to church, our goal is just to get them to come back next week. Um, it's not a big goal. But, you know, if they come back next week and they come back the week after and they come back the week after, at some point in time, we're going to we're going to be able to get to know them. We're going to be able to speak into their marriage. We're going to be able to speak into their life. At some point in time, they're going to they're going to give their life to Jesus Christ at some point in time. And that doesn't always happen on the first Sunday. Yeah. Matter of fact, for most people, it doesn't happen. It takes a period of time. And even if you look at Jesus' disciples, 
there was a journey. There was a journey with his disciples. There was a journey with the crowd. Yes, on the day of Pentecost, a whole lot of few thousand people gave their lives to the Lord. But most historians believe that most of those people that gave their life to the Lord were people that were ministered to uh, by Jesus for the previous three years. Oh, wow. And so we know that people are on a journey and that we know that Sunday is just another step in a person's journey. And we want our Sunday experience to not be off-putting, to not chase people away, yeah. um, to be helpful, to be relevant, um, and, and, and not scary, <laughs> but, but helpful, you know, and just present Jesus in, to people in a way that they understand. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. But no, yeah, it, I mean, I'm sure there are churches that are, are trying to, I'm sure there are. Yeah. Um, not in our world, but I'm sure there are churches that are, are doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, but with an arc, we love lost people. We want to see lost people saved. So good. And don't, and we think that we need to do everything we can to present the gospel to them in a way that they understand. That's powerful. Yeah. That's so good. And that's what love is, 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 is not just trying to, you know, keep yourself in mind, but to keep those in mind that may know nothing. I remember at the conference, uh, the lead speaker said that, you know, he had people come up to him afterwards and say, listen, what are those people's names at the bottom of the stuff you're putting on the screen? And then he, he realized they meant, you know, it would say Jeremiah or Isaiah or Mark or Matthew. And they were like, what is that? And he, a lot of, you assume people know scriptural references, but not everyone will know. Uh, and that's, I mean, to that point, you have to even, you know, keep yeah, that yeah, in mind. Can't be, can't be inside a club preaching. You don't have to know or grown up in church to be able to understand what we're saying. We just, yeah. we're not watering it down. I think that, you know, the the gospel is offensive enough. It tells people <laughs> to die to themselves. You don't have to do everything else that we're doing to also be offensive. You know, the gospel's offensive enough. Yeah. The other offenses away. That's good. That's a good point. I like that. On that, you know, sensitive point, we we are obviously in in very very interesting times as a world, and we are facing very interesting things. There's lots of fear that's running rampant, anxiety, uncertainty, and and I think it's I can't see a massive difference between people that don't know Jesus and people that do know Jesus in terms of how they are reacting to this. And I think a lot of people are maybe realizing, shucks, I've been serving my job or my salary. I haven't been serving God. And lots of things are coming to the surface. Um, you know, marriages that may have had some cracks are crackling completely. Uh, kids that have had forms of depression may have deeper forms of depression. Now, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that seems to be uh, unraveling. But uh, I still believe that, you know, Jesus is with us. He loves us. He's got a plan and he makes all things work together for those who love him. We can stand on those scriptures, um, but it is a difficult time for many people. And I think we, we need encouragement. We need hope. We need uh, inspiration. Uh, to to hold on to what what would your message be to to the Church of South Africa at this time? How to navigate through this period we're in? Well, I just love what you're doing, Heinz. I mean, in just helping people um, connect. I think uh, the message, pretty simple, is don't do life alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't do life alone. Don't go through this by yourselves. And, and when we surround ourselves with the right people, with the right friends and getting the right input, um, then we're probably going to, not a probably, but we're, we're probably going to have a healthier perspective mm. on what's actually going on. Okay. And we're going to see things as they really are, not as they appear to be. And there's so much negative talk, like you said, in the news and all sorts of stuff going on. And even personally, I mean, a lot of people are struggling. They've lost jobs. They've lost incomes, lost houses. Yeah. Um, and, and it's scary. But it's also an opportunity for us to lift up our eyes, mm. take our eyes off ourselves, look at the world around us. There's always somebody else that's worse off than you. There's always somebody else that's, that's, that's struggling more than what we are. And um, we can be grateful and we can also help. Mm. We know that the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And it's in difficult times. We want to be stingy. We think, oh, let me hold on to everything I have. But actually, this is it. Is that moments like this when we need to be in community and we need to be more intentionally generous with our time, 
more intentionally generous with our praise, sure. more intentionally generous with our treasure than ever before. Sure. Because as we do that, that's when God's grace comes in. You know, we don't live generous lives because we have an abundance. We live generous lives because we're convicted to do it. And so even out of our lack, we need to be generous. So good. Um, and when we do that, then God just it changes our perspective. You know, it changes the way that we see ourselves, changes the way that we see our world. Um, but also, let's keep our eyes focused on heaven. You know, we're only passing through this world. This isn't our destination. So good. Yeah. One of the changes in, in, in Christianity the last 20, 30 years is we've become very pragmatic. In other words, what we, we think that Christianity, the benefit of Christianity is here and now. Mm. So does it affect my marriage? Absolutely, it affects it. My marriage is better for it. And I probably wouldn't even be married if it wasn't for my incredible wife and Jesus, you know? <laughs> Um, but does Jesus affect my marriage? Absolutely. Does he help me have better kids? Absolutely. Do, is there fun that, does God bless my finances when I serve him? Absolutely he does. Mm. Um, is, do I have a sense of, of purpose and, and just self-fulfillment because I serve Jesus? Absolutely. So is my life richer for serving Jesus on earth? Absolutely. But it's not about this life. Mm. And so it's so easy for us to focus all of our attention as Christians just on this life. But it's not about this life. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on eternity, and know that whether we suffer loss here or not, it's not the big deal. Sure. It's actually, it's about something so much bigger. Wow. It's, I think this is an opportunity for us to take our eyes off ourselves, put our eyes on other people, put our, <laughs> live generous lives, and let's definitely rem- rem- remind ourselves that each Christianity is about eternity, not about our here and now. It does help our here and now, but it's not about our here and now. That's awesome. Sure. Thank you. Uh, will you please, as we uh, come to an end of this great conversation, um, just maybe do an invitation to those who haven't given their lives to Christ and maybe those who have listened to this and went, sure, there's so much more that I haven't tapped into. I would love to, to do that. Just invite them um, to pray a prayer. And maybe pray then for the people that are listening, um, that they will be encouraged, that they will experience God's presence. And then I will end off with, uh, with a prayer for you as well. Great. Thanks so much. But before we pray, I just want to say, Hans, I just love what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, we love you guys. We're excited about your future. Excited about the burdens that God is going to put more and more inside of your hearts. And just believing something amazing is going to come out through that as you continue to follow him. And just thanks again for everything you do, not just for our church, but for our country. You're so passionate about your commitment to Jesus, about making a difference. And God has clearly given you a burden for our country. And and, uh, it's for a reason. Yeah. You start to discover that more and more. And it's very, very exciting to see for. And just the way you're going about building a great marriage, building a great family, it really is inspiring. But thank you. Wow, that means a lot. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's all those that are listening. um, We're not sure where you are on your journey with God. Um, Maybe you've given up. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you thought, well, what's the benefit of Christianity? Um, But like what my friend said to me when I was young, there is a God in heaven. Mm. He loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. It doesn't matter what you're feeling about right now. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I want to challenge you to pray and say, God, I don't know what's going on. Help me. Help me. God, I don't even know if you exist. Help me with my unbelief, God. God, I want to know you. If you love me, show yourself to me. Show yourself to me, God. And I believe that if you pray that prayer with sincerity, God will reveal himself to you in the most amazing, amazing ways. It might not happen instantaneously. It might happen right now as we pray. Maybe it happens over a period of time. I'm not sure. But I do believe that God will reveal himself to you, that he'll be there for you, that he'll fill you with peace, and it'll be incredible. But I do want to invite those that are ready to make that decision, ready to take that next step, ready to surrender and say, God, here's my life. Use it. And if that's you, if you want to surrender your whole life to God right now, then I'd love, it'll be the absolute privilege of my life to lead you in a very, very simple prayer where you can accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if that's you, won't you just close your eyes right where you are. I'm going to say a prayer and you can repeat it after me. And um, just say this after me. Lord Jesus, today I give my life to you. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. 
I want to know you. I want to follow you. And I want to surrender everything to you. I want you to be in control of my life from this day onwards, Lord. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, the best prayer you could have ever prayed in your life, welcome to the family of God. Amen. (laughs) So good. Will you please pray for our nation? I feel like I want you to pray for this nation, and and then I'll end off the prayer for you guys. Right. Well, Jesus, we just come before you right now. I just want to lift up our nation to you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us so much. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You love us. You love this nation. We can just start to see, and we're seeing already so many people's lives that are being impacted, so many miracles that are taking place already, the beginning of something incredible. We just pray that you'll continue to pour out your spirit, mm. that you will call more and more leaders to step up, into, into making a difference for your kingdom. Mm-hmm. We pray for more churches to be planted, yes, more yes. life-giving churches to be planted, where yes, people yes, can come yes, in and find you and find purpose and find freedom, and, and they can start to make a difference, Jesus. We pray for this, Lord, like your word tells us that we should pray because the harvest is ripe, but the workers are free. Lord, we pray for workers. We pray for workers for our nation, mm-hmm. workers that love you, workers that are full of integrity, workers that are selfless, that their only agenda is you and your kingdom and to tell people about your love. We just pray this for our nation in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord, thank you so much for this time in your presence. Thank you for the truths that we were able to discuss. Thank you for the encouragement, the inspiration. Uh, We are so grateful for, for Paul, for Marinette, their marriage, their family, their, their kids, their amazing ministry. We thank you for them, Lord. We, we honor you for them, and we, we thank you for the journey that you've taken them on. It's been such a blessing to so many. We ask now, Lord, that you will keep on blessing them, strengthening them, giving them wisdom to navigate as leaders, to raise up more leaders, to plant more churches. We pray that you bless Hope Church and all their affiliates. We pray that you bless Ark Churches and Ark Churches South Africa, that they will connect with even more leaders that are, that are committed to you and hungry to plant churches and make a difference in their community. And I thank you, Lord, that there will be a, a revival of effective church planting, effective life-giving church planting, not just people coming to you and it, it, it kind of, it's a hype and it ends, but a real revival that, that permeates communities and changes families. Lord, we pray that you will restore marriage, that you will restore uh, the family unit the way you planned it from the beginning to be in this nation. And we thank you that there are people like Paul and Marinette, and I pray that as he did as well, I just say amen, that more will be raised up to make that difference and that change in our nation. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, your mercy. And I pray now, Lord, that you will just surround the Van Collars with your presence, with your your angels, your wall of fire with the blood of Jesus and the armor of God everywhere they go. We just pray your, your, your protection and blessing over them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My brother, you are a blessing and That's I thank so you so much. <laughs> Appreciate Love talking to you. Always, I always feel encouraged after talking to you. So, oh, so cool. passionate. It's contagious. It's wonderful. It's absolutely fantastic. Yes. That, that's awesome. I'm so grateful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you. Your, say thanks to your wife and your kids as well, because this was time away from them to chat to me as well. And, uh, and may you guys just be, oh, just go from glory to glory and strength to strength in your ministry. Uh, I can't wait to visit you again. I'm just inviting myself. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, as soon as lockdown's over, we have to make a plan. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Please hang around. I'm just going to greet the people and, and we'll chat uh, just briefly afterwards. Guys, thank you so much for joining us and uh, for being part of this amazing uh, Love Unlocks Live session with Paul from George Hope Church and from Ark. I really appreciate you joining us and tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you want to catch up with them or if they're in your area, 
check in this uh, post. Their website details and contact details are there. And you can also connect to Ark Churches. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you are. If you, and if you gave your life to Christ today and you made a decision, please contact us. Um, uh, if you are in his area, I'll send you to him or we can connect you to another life-giving church in your area. It's so important for us to, to stay connected, as he said. We love you guys. God loves you. And remember that God's love can unlock anything in your life. Trust him. Stay close to him and share that love with others. We appreciate you guys. Please join us again on Thursday. I'm going to chat to another amazing man of God, uh, Pastor Peter D. He's, uh, he's, an, he's such a great guy. He's got, he's got a radio show. He's got a business. But he planted a church in one of the most dangerous places in South Africa called Blickisdorp in Delft. He has raised up a church there. They are feeding children, educating children in one of the most difficult spots in our nation. And he's just an inspiration. So please join us for that at 1 o'clock this Thursday. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. <music>